Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the day that you've been pleased to give to us. We thank you that you call us together as your people. We thank you that we have the privilege of worshiping you. And we ask, Father, that as we do so, that you'd be pleased to meet with us as you've promised to do so. We ask, Father, that you would be pleased to confirm to our hearts that you are indeed our God and that we are your people. So be pleased to bless us to this end, we ask. We pray that as we go through this class this morning that you'll be pleased to be with us. And we thank you for the study of public worship as we've been able to undertake it and now as we uh, look forward to uh, addressing uh, uh, questions that uh, we might have. We pray that you'll uh, be pleased to give us wisdom and grace uh, to do so. So uh, be pleased to be with us now in this uh, particular session, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. Okay, we are uh, going to take the time uh, as you... Uh, help me uh, to uh, address uh, questions uh, with regard to public worship uh, that you might have. So to get us started, uh, I just want to do a, a little bit of a review as to uh, where we've been so that uh, you uh, may uh, have some things called back to your memory. Uh, perhaps, <laughs> and uh, uh, you may remember questions that uh, uh, you might have. And uh, what, I w- what I want to do after I go through a little bit of a uh, review of things is uh, see what kind of questions you have. And I, I want to put the questions on the board, all right? And uh, a- after we have a few questions on, on uh, the whiteboard, then uh, we'll uh, start to... Uh, at least try uh, to answer. No guarantees. Okay, we've been at this for ten weeks. Hardly seems possible. And uh, the the, uh, subject has been the public worship of God. And I've been uh, zeroing in on this. Uh, Not uh, uh, family worship or private worship, but corporate public worship has been the idea. And we started out with a regulative principle of worship, which says that whatever is not in in public worship, whatever is not commanded by God is forbidden. That's the idea. And the the other principle that's common in public worship is the so-called normative principle. Uh, Whatever is not uh, specifically forbidden by God is permitted. Uh, So those are the two uh, principles. And and obviously, uh, the normative principle opens things up uh, considerably. Uh, The regulative principle ties things down to what uh, God has uh, uh, commanded. And uh, then we move to the idea that the church assembled uh, is God's special dwelling place. Uh, We are the temple of the living God. And uh, uh, in the New Testament, 
Uh, Paul is using the model of the Old Testament temple as uh, uh, that which pertains to the church. And the temple was uh, the special dwelling place of God uh, in the Old Testament. And so in the New Testament, if the analogy holds, and I think it does, the, the church assembled, and this is what we're looking at, is the special dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So when we come together, God is committed uh, uh, to dwell in our midst in a special and gracious way, and uh, we ought to anticipate meeting with God in a special and gracious way. All right? uh, so then uh, I switched uh, topics entirely in the next week, and we talked about biblical transitions in worship. And uh, what I meant by this was that uh, over the course of the biblical history, worship has changed. And uh, in the beginning, it was just uh, worship at uh, individual altars. And we, we see this uh, with Adam and Eve, and then we uh, see this with Abraham, and the altars were built in various locations. And then uh, uh, God effected a transition in worship when, uh, under Moses when he ordered the building of the tabernacle. And so the things changed drastically. It wasn't uh, altars that uh, people built in different locations. It was one altar that God designated uh, especially for uh, uh, the sacrifices in the tabernacle. In the tabernacle, it's interesting, the tabernacle traveled in diff to different locations uh, as we understand it. And uh, uh, when we come to the New Testament, well, in uh, the Old Testament, uh, there was a change when uh, the temple was built from the tabernacle to the temple. And uh, this was a temp uh, permanent uh, place of worship uh, uh, to which the people would come. The tabernacle, to, uh, the temple didn't travel around. The people would come to the temple. <laughs> uh, and then when uh, Christ came, the Old Testament uh, sacrificial system and the temple is set aside... And uh, the church now becomes uh, the temple of the living God. And there's uh, going to be another transition in worship when we come to heaven. And uh, once again, we will all be uh, uh, around the throne in a central location, uh, uh, which presents a, a beautiful picture uh, in heaven. Uh, uh, then we went to the idea of an orderly entrance into God's presence. And uh, this, this was the pattern in the Old Testament. You, you just didn't willy-nilly uh, enter into God's presence. There was an order uh, to things. And uh, the tabernacle and the temple laid this out. The people would uh, uh, come to the altar and then they would uh, see, see the laver. Uh, on the altar they would offer their sacrifices and they would come to the laver, which was symbolized cleansing, and then they would come to the holy place. Uh, in in which the uh, table of showbread and the candelabra and the and uh, the ark of uh, the altar of incense was found and then finally uh, into the most uh, holy place and there was a, a graduation toward uh, the presence of God and there was an orderly entrance into uh, the presence of God and uh, so th this this leads us to to the idea of an order of worship. Uh, which we have uh, in the New Testament. And, and uh, having talked about that a little bit, we talked about the elements of worship uh, in, uh, that are manifested in, in the Bible. And, and uh, I gave you a number of uh, texts to go with the different uh, 
uh, element uh, of worship, the call to worship and, and uh, uh, singing praise and uh, the reading of Scripture and the preaching of the Word of God and uh, benedictions and, and uh, these, these kinds of things. So there are certain elements of, of worship that God uh, gives us in the Bible. And uh, so we try to follow those uh, elements of worship in our uh, worship today. And we have an orderly uh, entrance into God's presence. We're called into to worship, right? And uh, we respond uh, to God with singing praise. And, and we pray and ask God to bless uh, our time of worship and actually dwell in our midst. This is the, the idea of the invocation, etc., etc. Uh, and then uh, we talked about psalmody as a particular element of worship, praise. Under the category of praise, we talked about psalmody and that psalmody is commanded. Uh, let the Word of Christ dwell within you richly, uh, teaching and admonishing one another, singing uh, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Uh, so, so the whole idea uh, that psalmody is commanded and uh, then... Uh, we look more specifically at the phrase psalms and hymns and songs that refer to uh, the Old Testament psalms. Uh, and so 6 and 7 there put together is, uh, gives us the whole idea of a psalmody uh, commanded. Uh, so uh, this is all under the uh, element of praise. And uh, then we uh, looked at uh, uh, the idea of trumpets and harps and lyres and uh, spent a little bit of time showing that uh, that the trumpets and harps and lyres of the Old Testament were uh, really types and symbols uh, uh, with regard to, on one hand, preaching, and on the other hand, uh, spirit-filled singing. And uh, we looked at uh, verses in the Old Testament. We looked at uh, uh, verses in uh, the New Testament, particularly in uh, the book of Revelation. And uh, the, uh, the fact that it's, in, it's striking in the book of Revelation that uh, the singing uh, is uh, spoken of as being like the sound of harps, and uh, that John heard uh, a voice like a trumpet. So it wasn't an actual trumpet, uh, but it was uh, uh, a voice like a trumpet, an announcement, and that was the whole genius of the trumpets in the Old Testament to uh, to announce. Uh, to be announcements, and uh, the harps and lyres uh, representing singing, the, 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 uh, the voices of singing were like uh, harps. And there, were, there weren't actual harps uh, spoken of in, in the book of Revelation, or there aren't actual harps spoken of in the book of Revelation. It's, it's uh, singing like the sound of harps, very melodious and powerful. And... Uh, 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 so, uh, uh, I was maintaining then that uh, uh, these references don't uh, uh, give us warrant for uh, the use of musical instruments in, the, in uh, New Testament worship, which is the standard um, and classic uh, argumentation. And uh, then uh, I made a distinction uh, between what I call uh, celebration and worship, uh, sacred worship, which takes place on a regular basis, and uh, secular celebrations in the Old Testament, which might, may have worshipful uh, elements to them, uh, uh, such as the uh, celebration 
by the Red Sea that uh, Miriam entered into with uh, tambourines and etc. etc. And that uh, uh, since uh, our model is the temple, we are the temple of the living God. It's not the uh, more secular celebrations of the Old Testament that are our model for worship uh, in the New Testament, uh, but it's the uh, stated worship, the sacred worship uh, that is stated and uh, appointed by God uh, on a regular basis. And uh, then last week, finally, we talked about Psalm 150, try, uh, trying to lay the groundwork between uh, with these, uh, uh, the use of the instruments in regular worship and sacred celebration. We looked at uh, Psalm 150, and I argued that uh, Psalm 150 uh, speaks about the occasions on which we are to worship. We are to worship on, uh, on the occasion when we hear the trumpet and the harps in the Old Testament, the the saints were to worship on the occasion when they heard the uh, harps and cymbals and uh, trumpets in the temple. They were to worship God uh, when they heard those things. So it was with uh, the sound of those things. And uh, similarly with uh, the instruments that were utilized in uh, different uh, celebrations. In other words, worship God in regular worship and worship God uh, in all areas of life. Uh, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, uh, do all to the glory of God. And uh, so, a brief summary of where we've been. <laughs> and uh, uh, I know there have been questions, and uh, some of you have raised questions uh, with, with me after class. And uh, so, uh, I, I want to turn to your questions and give you opportunity uh, for questions. And we're going to take opportunity for questions next week also. So, that that's the plan. So uh, uh, this, this is where we've been, and uh, so uh, you have a question or two, just one or two. So uh, feel, feel free. No questions. Class dismissed. <laughs> All right, Patrick. Oh, okay. Uh, Introducing the topic of worship. So, uh, this is a great question. Uh, say, uh, we're, we're uh, doing this to a novice. See, you, you would be amazed at the number of novices in this area that I had at uh, RPTS. <laughs> the majority of the class, in fact, uh, classes that I had. All right. So, first question. This is a great question. And I, 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 my brain is working. All right. What else can we jot down? I, I see the hand in the back. I see that hand. Uh, kind of hesitant, but up and down. Can you just do some further in-depth? Um, was, was my worshiping with... Our Napark brothers last weekend during the baptism of the grandchild singing. Should I have sung him with them, or should I have stood there silent? Okay, this is this is an important question. Uh, what else? So, is it really just a matter of semantics if we're honoring God on Sunday, whether we go to that church or this church? We call it a celebration or a worship. We're there to honor God. It's just semantics, right? Well, you guys want to put a tune, you know? Yeah. This is great. 
What's that? You asked for it. I asked for it. <laughs> I did. Okay. What else? I'm wondering if some of the other, uh, I don't know if denominations is the correct word, because I'm thinking of uh, incl including Roman Catholics and, and other segments of faith, have some worship things correct. Um, okay, good, good question. This is just a curiosity question, how you would approach someone who, this was a discussion that um, a group I was a part of, a reformed group, they were talking about using communion in uh, weddings, and how you would approach that with using the sacraments in a non-worship service, although they would probably, many people in this discussion were calling it a worship service. Okay. Wow, we're going to be here for a few more weeks. <laughs> Mike. The original, when they sang this, they didn't really sing the song. Did it wasn't more of a chant or what? The original, you know, we now set ours to regular music. Okay. Why do we have a Psalter? Why don't we just sing right out of the Bible? Why don't we sing Hebrew? <laughs> There might be a reason for this. <laughs> okay. Is this, it? Is it? this is all for today? <laughs> um, is it wrong to do communion every week at church? Okay. Uh, so that would be the idea of frequency. Uh, I think I'm going to start here uh, with singing hymns with other churches. Okay. And uh, as we go along, if you have have uh, a question, I'll, I'll uh, uh, hear your question, all right? Uh, but, but, but this is a, a, a great question, and uh, uh, one of my memories is uh, when I was in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, and uh, I was moderator of uh, the Presbytery, of which I was a member, and uh, at the Presbytery meeting, when uh, the moderator uh, preached uh, the sermon, I, I was preaching. And uh, I remember very well uh, in uh, the uh, auditorium that uh, G.I. Williamson and his wife uh, were, were sitting adjacent to the pulpit. And uh, uh, some of you would uh, know the name G.I. Williamson, but he uh, was at one time a minister in a Reformed Presbyterian church, and, and uh, uh, he's retired now and quite elderly, but he uh, lives in northeastern, northwestern Iowa and uh, is a member of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. But he, he uh, does hold to exclusive psalmody. And uh, I was in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church at the time. And I remember very well uh, uh, announcing uh, the closing hymn in the worship service for Presbytery. And uh, G.I. Williamson and his wife stood and uh, opened uh, their uh, hymn books and stood silently. Okay. 
and uh, that was their conviction uh, that they uh, they would not sing uh, anything other uh, than psalms uh, in uh, the worship of God and uh, I, I kind of snickered at that time. This is a few years ago. Uh, I kind of snickered myself at, at that conviction. Uh, but over time, uh, I, I've come to the conviction uh, for myself uh, that in uh, such worship uh, circumstances, uh, I would do similarly. Okay? Now I say this. I've come to this conviction myself see, that this is a matter of conscience. Uh, myself, and uh, I say to others uh, who enter uh, other circumstances, who uh, are uh, members of the uh, Reformed Presbyterian Church, or. Uh, officers in the Reformed Presbyterian Church, that this is a matter of conscience. And uh, this is always the the way it is on moral issues, all right? Uh, That uh, uh, we're the kind of people that like things black and white. Life is a lot easier when things are black and white. But life is not black and white. And uh, when it comes to moral issues, uh, usually uh, what happens is that uh, right and wrong or black and white are on the ends of a spectrum. And uh, for us as individuals, uh, usually what happens is that uh, except on uh, very uh, pointed issues uh, that we find ourselves somewhere on uh, this spectrum. And uh, what happens is that uh, when you uh, uh, bring black and white uh, closer together, uh, you still have a gray area uh, in the middle. And uh, this is often the case. And uh, let, let me give you, you an example on uh, the commandment, you shall not murder. Uh, Grandma is in the hospital and she's on her deathbed and life support is being administered. All right. When do you make the decision to remove life support. See? All right, you're 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 uh, you know murder is wrong. Uh, that issue is black and white, but now you're in down here in this gray area, and uh, you know you're down here in this gray area, uh, and uh, this is the reality of uh, the circumstances in which we find ourselves in this life, and uh, so. Uh, uh, very often, making decisions like this become a matter of conscience before God. How do you make this decision before God? Say, and I, I would say, uh, in uh, singing uh, uh, with other congregations, 
of other denominations saying, I'm not going to tell you uh, absolutely, no, you're prohibited from doing this. And I'm not going to tell you that because if you don't believe the prohibition that I have set forth actually comes from Scripture and uh, you seek to follow my prohibition, I'm causing you to sin because you're violating your conscience. And I'm not going to put you in that uh, kind of position. I'm not going to go there. Uh, And so, I think you, uh, each one of us uh, uh, has to study the issue and come to grips with uh, uh, the circumstance before God uh, ourselves. And we have to be able to act in good conscience before God ourselves. And if you're over here with G.I. Williamson, I'm, I'm all right with that. And uh, if you're over here uh, uh, in another location and you haven't sorted things out uh, the way G.I. Williamson has or come to the same conclusion that G.I. Williamson has and you feel like in good conscience you can enter in uh, to uh, 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 with the, the worship of people in another congregation, okay. See, I'm not going to uh, uh, lay a command on you and a prohibition on you because you have to sort it out before God uh, and your own conscience. You see, and this is the case uh, with a lot of biblical doctrines, and it, it's important uh, that we uh, be able to act before God in good conscience. And not all of us are going to be in exactly the same place. And that's okay. You should be at some session meetings. We're not all exactly at the same place. And I'm not just talking about second RP. I've been to a lot of session meetings <laughs> and a lot of Presbyterian meetings. All right. Okay, Sterling wants to add a comment here. Okay, does that... Uh, does the question we're addressing, singing hymns with other churches, apply to uh, individuals who don't believe to exclus- in exclusive psalmody? Yes. Yes, yes it does. Uh, and uh, I, I would hope, you see, that uh, coming to an RP church, the obverse would be true, that you're willing to sing the psalms, that you, that you don't have a conscientious objection to singing the psalm. See, I know people who have a conscientious objection to singing the psalm. And they say, well, that's just for the Old Testament. I'm not going there. That's just for the Old Testament people of God. See? And if I sang song, songs that were just appropriate for the Old Testament people of God in the New Testament, I would be sinning. And I'm not going to go there. So it's just the opposite. So where do you stand before God in your conscience? Okay. Uh, let me make one, one more comment here. See now, now here's a distinction uh, that uh, might be helpful for you, and, and this is not something to let you off the hook. All right, <laughs> this is not something to let you off the hook. Uh, there's a distinction between officers in the church and communicant members of the church, and the s- distinction is this. As officers of the church, we are bound uh, 
by our vows to subscribe to the standards of the church. And that means uh, that uh, as officers in the church, I have taken a vow that I do hold uh, to the exclusive use of psalms in worship and singing without instrumental uh, music. So I've taken uh, that, that I do believe in the worship standards of the Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America. I've taken a vow to that effect. Members uh, do not take a vow to that effect. Uh, and and uh, that's an important distinction. However, what kind of a vow do members take? The vow that members take is to be willing to listen to the teachings of the church and to submit uh, to uh, the uh, uh, authorities of the church and to submit to the teachings of the church. You don't have to you don't have to hold to all the teachings of the church, but you're willing to listen and you're willing to study uh, the teachings of the church. See, that's the difference between uh, the communicant member and uh, the officer. Okay, Claudia had her, her finger up in the air. <laughs> okay, what about singing the hymns at all? Like in, not in a worship service, in perhaps in a Bible study where that is called worship, and they're singing hymns. Okay, what about singing hymns in other uh, worship settings? Here I, here I will go to uh, the idea of family worship and uh, individual worship. All right? uh, uh, my position is that the regulative principle, no doubt, applies to corporate public worship. Right? And uh, I, I'm not prepared to say that uh, all of the standards of uh, corporate public worship always apply to individual worship and to family worship. All right. Uh, so uh, I had a little discussion with a, a candidate uh, uh, for the Ar- uh, Reformed Presbyterian Church in this regard. Uh, a, a, a young mother who's a member of the uh, Reformed Presbyterian Church and believes in exclusive psalmody in uh, public worship has taught her uh, uh, toddler daughter uh, to sing, Jesus Loves Me. Okay. And uh, this candidate uh, for the ministry in the Reformed Presbyterian Church said, I would rebuke that mother. because she uh, uh, was violating the regulative principle and uh, should be teaching her uh, child only Jesus loves me, or only the Psalms. And it would be sinful to teach her child to sing Jesus loves me. And I said, time out. You're not going to have that family in your congregation very long. I wouldn't go there. I would not go there. And by the same token, I would not uh, uh, say to an individual, 
When you sit down in your home at your piano and open the book of Psalms for worship and play through the melody for psalms that are coming up in the worship service on the Lord's Day and sing those psalms and practice those psalms, that's okay. All right, that's okay. And that's done in many households and in many uh, circumstances. Hang on, hang on. And, and, uh, uh, if you, uh, uh, know hymns and sing, uh, uh, hymns in family worship, uh, you see, I'm not, I'm not going to condemn you for that. Say, now, the other side, uh, of the coin is, see, I think, the better part of wisdom is practice the Psalms in family worship in order to prepare for corporate worship. And you'll learn the Psalms and uh, begin to appreciate the Psalms more fully and you will uh, find that you are assisted by doing that in your corporate worship. So I, I would always encourage that. I would always encourage that. Okay, Levi. So I guess I'm with, when you were talking about conscience, and it's all it depends on how, how if you're convicted by your conscience. How do you? Um, I guess what? How far does that go? I mean, how how far can somebody? I mean, I aren't, can't there be Catholics that have good conscience and, and they they're not convicted by their conscience and and or and I guess more. You know, I guess my real question is, the purpose of the regular principle, if if it's about conscience, um, it, it it seems like the, the principle is if it's forbidden by God. So if it's forbidden by God, how is it up to your conscience to do it or not? Okay, uh, the the question is this: conscience with regard to the regulative principle. And you see, uh, the incipient question uh, that I hear is. How far can I push the envelope? Right? You're nodding. See? Uh, uh, so, uh, uh, my response is, why do you want to push the envelope as far as you can? See? Uh, why should your motive be, uh, this is the regulative principle, but I want to push, uh, push it as far as I can? I would say that's never a proper posture in dealing with the Word of God. It's always your conscience in light of the Word of God. And you want to bring your conscience into conformity with the Word of God as much as possible. Not push the envelope as much as possible. So I would caution you here. Uh, that that uh, to, to re-examine your posture uh, in this regard. See? Uh, that would that would be my caution. You see. So so now uh, the Catholic, uh, for example, and you, and you bring up the Catholic. Uh, the Catholic is doing things uh, in accordance with their conscience, but they're not even uh, regarding uh, the regulative principle. They don't even have the regulative principle in mind. See? So so that's. Uh, uh, as far as I'm concerned, they're operating in a different ballpark, uh, in essence. And uh, so, uh, uh, and they're playing a different game, uh, I would say, 
So, uh, I, I would say, uh, let's not go there because it is a different ballpark and it is a different game. And uh, my, my thing would be for all of us, and I include myself in this, uh, you, you think I don't have uh, pressures and uh, qualms of conscience at times with regards to things that I do? Guess again. Okay. I, I am a, a member of sinful fallen humanity which has been redeemed. And uh, sin has not been totally removed from this person. I can guarantee you that's, a, that's the case. And as, as so there, there are always tensions uh, uh, in, in matters that we face. All right? Uh, okay. Uh, so I think you get the idea here. Uh, bring your conscience into conformity with the Word of God. And uh, you're going to find your conscience that's going to be in different places. Okay, that's okay. I'm all right with that. As long as you're working, you see... To bring your conscience into conformity with the Word of God, and you see, I would say the same, uh, the same principle uh, uh, applies to the Sabbath day. See, you you look at uh, what's required in the Sabbath day in the larger catechism, and you go, oh, my, my, oh my, <laughs> my, oh my. And uh, the, the objective with the, the Sabbath day is not to push the envelope as far uh, as you can uh, to see how much you can get away with uh, on the Sabbath day. See, that's not the idea. It's always bring ourselves into conformity with the Word of God as much as possible. And it's always uh, our individual consciences uh, confronted with the Word of God. And you always have to act in good conscience before the Word of God. This is always the case, no matter uh, uh, what your circumstance or what you're doing. This is always the case. Uh, okay. Uh, I, I, I want to go to this first question now. See, time's up. <laughs> uh uh, presenting things to a novice. Uh, th- this was my experience in, in uh, uh, as I say, at uh, Reformed Presbyterian Theological Seminary. And uh, I regret uh, that I did not uh, follow this procedure uh, in our class sessions. Uh, if I had uh, followed uh, uh, this procedure in our class sessions... I would have started with number two here. Okay? That this idea of the church assembled uh, is the special dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Uh, and uh, I would have gone to Second uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 2 and verse 16. Uh, For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. I would have started there. We are the temple of the living God. And of course, the comparison is being made with the Old Testament temple. And my my experience over uh, in teaching uh, the class in worship at the seminary uh, for over uh, a decade uh, was this that when I began at that place and 
the class understood the principle of uh, God dwelling among his people and the church being uh, the temple of the living God. And uh, we worked over that principle and built on that principle. Uh, I had uh, virtually 100% of the class buying in with me. It was, it was really interesting uh, to watch. And uh, uh, this was, as it were, going in the back door. Okay? Uh, and, and not going at the regulative principle first, but, but going in the back door. And uh, uh, after uh, I got into class, uh, got down uh, uh, the road in the class, and uh, I said, now, you, you agree with all that I've said here with uh, regard to uh, the church being the temple of the living God and God dwelling in the midst of his people and uh, God regulating the worship of, of the Old Testament uh, worship and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the implications of all this is that God regulates our worship in the New Testament church. That the implication of what everything that we've talked about is that God regulates our worship in the New Testament church. And uh, every year at this point, we'd have a train wreck in class. Uh, and it was really interesting because the year that Pastor David Hansen was in the class, he witnessed the train wreck. <laughs> and so periodically he would call me and say, Denny, are you teaching a worship class yet? And I said, yep, we're in the worship class. And, and he would ask me, has the train wreck occurred yet? <laughs> and I said, no, it has not occurred yet, but it's coming. <laughs> it's coming. And uh, so uh, coming at it, uh, as I say, through the back door and not addressing uh, the regulative principle up front, but laying a lot of groundwork, uh, you see, and coming at the regulative principle in this way uh, so that people buy in uh, to biblical principles, uh, then suddenly they realize uh, the implications of uh, the teaching. And uh, uh, as happened in my worship class frequently, uh, ministers uh, who were in the class uh, from uh, the community and uh, uh, from uh, uh, the community uh, in uh, black churches and Pentecostal churches in the community said, well, we agreed with you up to this point, uh, Professor Prudhoe, but we didn't reckon for this. <laughs> you see, they didn't like the implications uh, of what happened. And uh, so, so my encouragement is, you know, pick away at it, uh, don't don't come at uh, the issue directly, 
but come in the back door. And uh, uh, often when you do this, uh, see, you set the hook. And now you've caught people. And uh, they don't realize it until they've been caught. Uh, 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 the same principle, you see, applies. Uh, you see the, the Apostle Paul uh, utilized uh, this same principle uh, in his evangelistic preaching. Uh, in uh, evangelistic preaching, in, uh, uh, what you do uh, is you uh, approach things more inductively and you give uh, the main point at the end of the sermon, at the end of the lesson, where you call people to come to Christ. All along, they're buying in, you see. And then at the end, uh, uh, you uh, uh, give the, the uh, crucial uh, point, uh, rather than giving the crucial point up front, and then people saying, well, I'm not going to listen to you anymore. <laughs> uh, you see. Uh, so, uh, that, that's the kind of approach I would uh, suggest. Okay, what, what else can I uh, uh, answer here uh, quickly? Uh, let's go down here to communion and weddings. Okay, uh, our standard uh, with regard to uh, uh, worship is that weddings are not worship services. Okay, And so weddings uh, are not uh, guided by the regulative principle. And so, uh, a lot of things uh, can be done in weddings uh, that are not done in uh, regular worship services. But because uh, weddings are not uh, uh, worship services, we would not uh, administer communion in a wedding because it's not a worship service. And... Uh, uh, the sacraments are are for worship services. This would this would be part of it, and uh, the other side of this is uh, that communion is for believers, see? and we hold to uh, the whole idea of a session controlled communion, and uh, th- there's no way at a wedding to uh, exercise any kind of control over who. Uh, participates in the sacrament. And uh, so, uh, because it's not, uh, not a worship service, we, we would n- uh, not uh, have communion in uh, a worship service. Now, uh, what, what happens in the Catholic Church? The center of uh, worship in the Catholic Church is the Mass, which is communion. <laughs> so they always have communion in a worship service. But what do they do? See, this is very striking. They exclude people who are not members of the Catholic Church. <laughs> you see, they do the same thing we would do. They exclude people who are not members of their communion. See? Very striking uh, that this is the case. And even if a Catholic and a non-Catholic are being married, uh, the priest will administer uh, the sacrament, uh, uh, the Mass, to the Catholic person and will not administer uh, the sacrament to the uh, uh, other uh, party in the marriage. (laughs) This is how strict they are about this sort of thing. Uh, So, uh, uh, we we would say no. Uh, uh, Weddings are not a worship service. Communion is inappropriate uh, for 
uh, a worship service. And uh, quick answer on frequency. You see, I think we can validate uh, from Scripture that uh, the, the frequency of uh, communion is up to the local church to determine. Some would argue from Scripture, they, uh, they have arguments, and I don't agree with the, uh, these arguments. Some would argue that uh, communion ought to be uh, uh, done every week. See? And some churches do have weekly communion. Uh, okay, see, that's, that's up to the local session to determine uh, that. Uh, but uh, I, think, I, th- I think we can show from Scripture that uh, communion, uh, the frequency of, of communion is up to the local session, and uh, 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 we can leave it there. Okay, uh, come back. We have a couple of questions to address. Uh, let's have a word of prayer. Uh, Lord, thank You for uh, this day that You've been pleased to give us. Uh, Grant us grace in it uh, that we might serve you. Bless us as we uh, come to worship now, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. Thank you very much, folks.